0: Welcome to the first ever episode of In the Making. I'm your host, Katie Stewart, and I'm also the founder of Cheyenne Studio. In this series, I'll be talking to people who are in the middle of making something great. It could be a company, an organization, a project, an artistic creation, or just their lifestyle. Whatever it is, we're here to get their stories while they're in the middle of it. These interviews aren't publicist approved. They're not a reflection on what it was like to create something years ago. They're all about what people are doing right now and what they're in the middle of creating. I hope you enjoy listening. Here we are with Jessica Wong. Hello. She's the founder of New Label Dogs. Jess, do you want to tell us a little bit about what New Label Dogs is?
1: New Label is a brand of home goods that is designed for city dogs.
0: So like dog beds and
1: we're starting with dog beds. I have a grand vision for what it will be eventually, but we're starting with dog beds. Jess, do
0: you want to talk a little bit about who you were before you became the founder of New Label and started (laughs) doing dog beds and just kind of what brought you to this point in your
1: career? Sure. So I used to work in advertising. I was an art director. I had gone to school for advertising, and I thought, well, one day I'll just become a creative director at the best ad agency in the world. That was sort right. of what I wanted to do with my life, and I felt like I was on track to do that with my first job
0: at Crispin. I think you were. I think you could have made that happen.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so too. But, you know, spent several years working at different ad agencies and just realized that. It wasn't what I wanted to do long term. So I freelanced for a bit just to give myself a little bit more freedom to think about what I wanted. And then I joined Uber. I worked on the growth design team, which it was just that we thought about how to make the company grow. And that was really exciting because the company was growing so fast. Um, And so there was just a lot to learn in a very short amount of time. So I spent four years at Uber, um, two in San Francisco, two in Amsterdam, where I, I helped build out the creative team there. And then I really just needed something new. And so I left Uber in 2018. And I wanted to pivot from there. So I um, tried all different types of, of projects. I actually had a phase where I was doing one project a month for a while, just to explore what it is I really liked. And this ended up being one of the projects, this uh, new label project where I, I, I basically set
0: out to design a physical product. So basically you came, you did all these projects, you kind of did some self exploration. This final project was to create a new product. So you didn't know what type of product you wanted to create. You knew you just knew you wanted to make something or, or was there something already there where you had a product in mind? Yeah. So
1: I'll take a step back. I wanted to design a physical product because I worked in digital so much and I appreciate physical beauty, you know, interior design and, um, you know, products you can, hold and feel. And, and I didn't have experience doing that. So that's how I came up with that project. Dog beds. I bought a dog that year. Um, <laughs> Margot. Margo. She, she was a little monster. She chewed up her <laughs> $200 dog bed. Oh, man. And so I thought, well, you know, the interior cushion part is still intact. Why don't I design a cover for it? So, um, just went down the street and bought some fabric and made Mm -hmm. my own. How did
0: you make that first one? Did you have somebody locally sew it? How did you get that finished?
1: Yeah. So I actually lived near a lot of fabric stores. So I, I sourced my fabric just down the street at a little market. And then I brought the fabric to a tailor, down the street, and I showed him a sketch of of what I wanted, and told him the dimensions, and he said, "Okay, I'll do it." <laughs> <laughs> and he did so a great he job. Made your dog bed,
0: yeah. And Margot liked it. I'm assuming Margot liked it. So, okay, so you make this first dog bed for Margot. At what point, when you finished that, did you kind of look at it and say, "You know, I think this is the product I want to make more of. I mm-hmm. want to go from just making this special." special thing for my dog to, this will be the product I try to figure out how to make. What
1: what did that? So I left out a part of the story where I was working on yet another project with our friend Brian and we were learning about e-commerce and we had started a little pillow site where we were drop shipping pillows from China. So at some point we started to pick out fabrics that we wanted to test for pillows uh-huh. so I made some pillows okay um, and then I thought oh well, this fabric seems a little bit harsh or maybe intense for a couch situation but I could totally see it you know on the floor and and having a, a dog sleep on it it just felt right for that use for some reason mm-hmm. it's a faux leather it almost feels like a calf skin. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like having it on the couch felt a little bit stark. Or maybe not sure. – com- I don't know what not it was. soft and, like, yeah, Not, right. like,
0: what you want to cu- cuddle up with when you're going to watch Netflix or something. It's like,
1: yeah. Exactly. I, I get what you mean. Right. So then when I made it into a dog bed, you know, I wanted it to be comfortable. So it is this, like, big, squishy pillow, but – it's very modern looking, it's sleek looking, it goes really well with modern interiors, mm-hmm. which in my Amsterdam apartment was very modern. And as a bonus through this process, I learned that it's just easy to take care of. So you can just wipe it down mm-hmm. if your dog drools on it or has an accident on it. So I thought, well, you know, this really suits a city interior and it also sort of suits the the lifestyle requirements of someone who lives in an urban area. where not always living with, um, a washing machine in your unit. Sure. Yeah. Um, You don't always have time to do laundry every time your dog has an accident. Um, so it's just, it's easy to clean. It doesn't collect a lot of like dust and fur because of the nature of the, the calfskin faux leather and it looks modern. So that's sort of how I, I transitioned this pillow design into a, into a dog bed design.
0: Okay, cool. So basically, you kind of just had the perfect storm of things colliding, right? Like you had this vision where you wanted to make some kind of product. And then you had this side project where you're figuring out how to make pillows. And then you had this other side project where you made a dog bed. Yeah, all (laughs) the side projects. Then they all kind of came together perfectly, right? You kind of learned how to do all these things and came up with this product you felt you could be passionate about. Is that kind of...
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say it all came together perfectly. (laughs) It's still, I'm still in the process of making a perfect product. Uh That will be a continuous process that never
0: ends, probably. Yeah. So (laughs) let's talk about some of those things because that's what I'm really fascinated in. We've had some conversations already where you're trying to do different things to build this product, and there are things that working in the Graphic design, digital design realm, we don't usually have to deal with. Everything we do, we solve on our computer screen. And everything can be done just by kind of working right in front of us. And I Mm -hmm. think making a tangible product means you have to source vendors and kind of track a lot of things down. And I don't know, what are some of the things you've run into that have been just strange or difficult?
1: Do you have five
0: hours? (laughs) Yeah, we have all the time. All the time.
1: So this is what makes it fun there it's having a seemingly simple task and then realizing that no smaller part of that task is easy mm-hmm. has been both challenging and sometimes frustrating but also pretty interesting sure at some point I thought, well, I'll, I made this product in Amsterdam. I'll just come over. And you know, now that I'm in New York, I have all these resources, um, hundreds of fabric manufacturers and distributors and just fabric stores in the garment district. It'll be so easy right. Right, to replicate this. And so the first big hurdle I had to get over was sourcing the fabric. And Basically because I didn't have, I didn't know the brand of the fabric that I got from Amsterdam. I just had to store something similar here. So mm-hmm. I had to basically Google manufacturers of this type of fabric that I was looking for.
0: So were you just looking for faux leather Fabric manufacturers online and see w- what would come up. Basically, I was. So I yeah. looked
1: online, but I also had ordered this book called The Fashion Index, which is actually like a printed spiral bound notebook of um, manufacturers. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had seen it on a YouTube video. But there's samples in it? Like when you get paper samples or is it No, it's oh. literally names of companies, uh, the address of the company, a phone number and an email address wow. so that you can contact these uh, manufacturers like and the yellow pages. It was it's the yellow pages of manufacturing. Weird. Yeah. And what I found through this process is that these companies aren't companies that you know about. They're not really doing a whole lot of marketing. They don't sure. have fancy websites. They don't have fancy storefronts that you're passing in the street. They are just factories and warehouses that are usually outside the city.
0: Isn't that amazing? Like the, the vendors where I found it with um, print vendors for packaging or yeah. different things you're working with. It's a similar thing. It's yes. a very archaic industry where you have things like a yellow book to find their phone number. You have to call them. You have to physically call. Yes. Them. So if you email, nobody will get back to you for like 3 weeks. <laughs> that was like the case in I don't understand. It's instances. really interesting that these industries are still functioning that way and that they're they're the manufacturers that are making products or sourcing pieces of products or some of the biggest companies in the world. Right? They are.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, once I started to talk with them, I sort of um, you know, I I felt really self conscious even talking with them because, as mm-hmm. you said, they do work with huge companies that place huge orders. Right. I was just looking for some sample fabric to make a sample dog bed. Yeah. And do they have I mean, minimums? Um, so the book actually tells you what their minimums are. And oh, wow. the book was actually designed for small businesses or maybe. Young fashion brands, so that Mm -hmm. people could source fabrics in in small quantities. So it would say, you know, this company has no minimums. This company has a fifty yard minimum. So I I knew ahead of time, okay, about you know what what to expect before talking with them. But I also felt like when I talked with a lot of them, they didn't want to give me their time. Sure. Because I wasn't going to be a big client. Right. Um, So I I had that experience, which was a little bit uncomfortable. But then I worked with some people who did give me their time and gave me free samples of their product, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you find – was there any way of knowing (laughs) – what you were going to get from any place or was it just kind of the luck of the draw like you call one place and they'd be super friendly and you call another and they wouldn't want to help you was there any rhyme or reason to it were, were the smaller places uh, a little nicer
1: no actually the fabric i ended up using was a huge manufacturer that mm-hmm. supplies their fabrics to a lot of big brands it was just okay. i think it's just a lot of times about the way the company is structured some businesses were you know, small family owned businesses, others felt more corporate, where there was like a maybe a better structure in place, better training for their salespeople. Okay. But yeah, it was just sort of a surprise. So I'd have to like navigate these different situations where sometimes I was made to feel very uncomfortable. Yeah.
0: And sometimes People treated me really, really well. How many of them do you think you called or talked to before you found your fabric manufacturer?
1: Mm. Well, I got a lot of swatch cards from a lot of different companies. Uh I have a whole drawer full of them. Probably sourced swatch cards from about a dozen companies and ended up talking to maybe five of them and, and meeting their salespeople and having them show their product to me. Okay. But then some challenges along the way I realized some of these companies produce a material that requires a Prop 65 label. And what's that? A Prop 65 label it only applies to to companies selling to people in California, but it is a big scary label that says this product has cancer causing chemicals and may cause reproductive harm. Well, wow. so that's so. that's the
0: sticker you have to put onto your product if you use certain materials. If
1: you use certain materials and um the materials are being used on products that are being sold to Californians.
0: I see. Is this a new label or has this been around for a while? I
1: think it actually has been around for a while, but I wouldn't be able to tell you how long because yeah. I haven't been working in like soft goods. Yeah, sure. But my friend Elizabeth, who you know, said that when she worked at Ann Taylor, that would be, as soon as it came out, it became a big problem for them too. Oh, wow. But you know, one, I didn't want to put a, this big scary label on my product, but two, I also didn't want these chemicals around right. my c- customers who were dogs. Yeah, you don't
0: <laughs> want the puppies to be near the, the scary chemicals. Yeah. yeah, and
1: you know, the people making manufacturing the fabrics have told, you know, s- sort of assured me that these chemicals are used in such small quantities that, that they didn't think that I should worry about it. And maybe they were, but I also just didn't want to take a chance on right. it. So that I had to smart. source fabrics that did not have these chemicals in it, which added a pretty difficult layer of complexity to the project because it reduced the number of fabrics I could use by probably 90%. Oh, wow. From the ones I had sourced, and it increased the price of the fabric almost threefold.
0: Okay, so now you have a fabric that's three times as expensive and you only have 10% of the options to choose from. Yes. Oh my God. So is that, did you source it from the company that you had chosen the fabric from initially when you got here or did you then have to find a new company again? There were a couple companies that had
1: several different lines of fabrics and maybe one of the lines from each of those companies did not require that label. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up going with one of those. What I did learn in that process is that through going, it's just through having to meet all of these requirements, you, sometimes you just end up with a better product. I felt like by sourcing more and asking more questions and um, right. really finding a, a product that didn't have chemicals, you ended up with, or I ended up with a, a higher quality
0: fabric. Yeah, which is good. I mean, you're going for kind of a luxury dog bed market yes. anyway. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How did you find out that those labels were going to be an issue in the first place? Because I would imagine as you're just trying to figure out how to make these things, there's no one around to tell you like, hey, by the way, you have to know this too. Where did it come up mm-hmm. for you to even know that was an issue you would have to contend with?
1: Yeah, so A couple of these companies who had sent swatches also send some information about the the fabric that you're using. So a lot of marketing materials come with it uh, so that their customers can actually talk about the fabric in marketable ways. You know, they're super durable and these are their, this this is how they perform when you do all these tests on them the this is the the makeup of the actual material so Mm -hmm. like you know what you're actually buying and some of those cards those swatch cards had that warning on it and so I saw that and I looked into it a little bit more I asked my friend Elizabeth about it and she said that um, you do have to
0: put some type of notice on your product if you use those okay so yeah it's kind of a look into things as you go and then try to find friends and people who might know about it and dig in a little bit more with them.
1: Yes. And that has and been kind
0: a guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's been a big part of my process is just being really confused about something and then <laughs> asking a lot of questions and making, you know, taking a lot of friends to lunches.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Writing off a lot of coffee dates. Yeah. And uh learning from that. Yeah. I found that's the most useful way to learn things too. And that's, you know, part of the whole reason I wanted to do this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's just, we've been talking about this and I don't know, in starting my own business, I feel like there are so many things you don't think of when you set out to start a business or to create something. And as you go, all these challenges pop up and you can Google all day long, but the best way to kind of deal with them is just talk to other people who know something about them. Yeah. And it's like the best way to get, get the trade secrets and figure out what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And a lot of people want to help. Yeah. so um they, that makes them feel good it makes you know I they like to talk about their expertise yeah and their interests so yeah I, I feel like it's been a really rewarding experience to learn that there are a lot of people out there that want to help you mm-hmm. there are always people that don't want to help you and that ends up being a small percentage of it but sure it's a, a percentage of people I, I reach out to but for the most part I, I feel like everybody's Almost everyone's been really, really helpful.
0: Yeah, and and want to kind of see you succeed, and also just I don't know, pass on their knowledge. I think yeah, There's so much that we learn that's like nice to share with other people, and yeah, give some these things don't have to be secrets, but like they're kind of shielded. When you buy a product, you have no idea how that product came to be. You're, yeah, yeah, we're hidden from it, right? And
1: there are also just so many things that um, you learn from other people that are so simple and. Obvious or, you know, don't require a lot of like brain power to like think about afterwards, but you have to have someone tell you that you have to acquire that knowledge. Right. And then it becomes, you know, either second nature or just obvious to you. So it's not rocket science. You just need
0: someone to tell you. Right. These aren't the things you learn in school. Although it would be really helpful if there were classes about some of these things in school growing up. Yes. But. One day we'll create a school and we'll teach
1: people what these things. Yeah, a
0: school for <laughs> entrepreneurs. I yeah. don't know. So you're kind of in the process. You have your fabric now, which you've sourced, and you know you can legally sell all over the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what you're making, and now it's kind of time to sew and iterate. And what have you been doing with all that? I know you're kind of still in the middle of, of the process and, and mm-hmm. playing around with your product. How's it going and, and what's going on with all of that?
1: So when I got to New York about two and a half months ago, I found several people in the garment district who could do this type of work for me. I I landed on one of them. She produced what they call a a batch of samples, Mm -hmm. which that is even a new concept to me doing you know, samples and then doing a production run once you approve those samples. It makes so much sense, but I had no idea how that worked.
0: And you have to pay – do you have to put a deposit down on the production run when you do the samples, or do you just pay for the samples, and then if you like them, you go with them? Hmm, That's a good question. Um, I paid for everything up front because I was doing
1: such a small batch of – production. Sure. Um, I'm not sure how it would work if I were to make a thousand of these. Right. If you um, just
0: kind of stacked your whole apartment with dog beds. Yeah. Well, we're getting
1: different. there. <laughs> <laughs> My apartment's small, so we're running out of space.
0: Yeah. Welcome to New York. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, goes yeah. Here. Right. I f- actually forgot your original question, but, um, I, I,
0: uh, yeah, just wondering about kind of this process of uh, paying for samples and the production run. It's, it's oh, just uh-huh. a small detail.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm at the stage where I've produced – so I've, I've produced my production run. It was a very small batch, and to be honest, they're all unique in different ways because I had – basically come with like different fabrics at different points of the production process and said, I want two of these and I want I want to try this other fabric that I just found. Make you know, make another bed with this. And I was probably a nightmare client to work (laughs) with. But I have what I would consider like a set of sample beds that represent what I want to sell to customers or at least launch with to get some feedback on. And now I'm just in the process of Photoshopping some of the images that I took um, of the products.
0: That's pretty awesome. So you kind of came full circle and went from having to source all these people and find them. And once you found the right people to work with, you were able to kind of produce these beds and get what you want. Do you feel like the products that you have right now are what you envisioned yeah I
1: would say they're very close to what I envisioned minus some details so originally I had wanted these painted stripes on them which as you know became complicated because I washed them and they didn't survive a wash right and also people just had a lot of questions about paint on a dog bed or like the designs being you know somewhat, I don't know, paint just seems not permanent, right? Or like, um, if it's not printed on a machine, it just seems sort of, I don't know, just strange, to be honest. Um, So I think people had a lot of questions about that. So I didn't end up moving forward with the painted stripes. I did some samples with sewn stripes on them, which Mm -hmm. actually turned out pretty good. So I'm going to launch with some beds that are solid color, um, or at least they kind of color block because it's one color on top and then a black bottom and then another set with stripes and just see if people prefer one or the other or hate both of them. Or <laughs> well, I don't both think of them. anyone
0: will hate both of them. I think <laughs> it's pretty cool because as simple as it sounds, making dog beds, I think that's a market where there's not a lot of things that look good. I mean, we got cats in December and it took a lot of searching to find cat furniture Mm -hmm. that we wanted to put in our apartment. We live in 600 square feet in Brooklyn and you know, we have a nice modern apartment. We're not going to put some beige cat tree in here. So I think for dogs, there's a really similar problem, right?
1: Right. right. You get
0: the cute dog and then there's this weird, dirty looking fabric thing in the corner that it lays on. Yes. (laughs) And when you live in a small space with that, you don't really want to look at that every day. Yes. There's no corner to put it in over no closet, in the basement right. or somewhere far away. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, yeah, that's exactly why I thought this would be a good product to start with is, is because I had that problem as mm-hmm. well. And I just – I feel like the, the aesthetic of – your average dog bed is very close to the aesthetic of a lazy boy.
0: Yes. And I... Oh, it is. Yeah. They're just a little bit
1: misshapen and puffy and brown and,
0: like, fuzzy in a gross way. Yeah. Um, They just... They look like they have a smell to them before you approach them. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And they probably do, especially
1: with dogs (laughs) drooling on them. Uh, So, yeah, that was sort of how I... Again, I forgot your question, but that was how I—that was why I, I liked that aesthetic, or I wanted to create um, sort of a modern aesthetic when I set out to design that. And it's just my taste; I, I like modern,
0: yeah, modern clean. I think the stripes remind me of um, your illustration project as well, with the tin Tintin style and the the kind of simple stripes with some pops of color. I feel like you kind of jumped into an aesthetic with that. That feels very you. Yeah, I I certainly jumped
1: in with an aesthetic that felt very me and maybe came out with an aesthetic that I still really like, but uh, maybe is one step removed from what I originally set out to make, which I think is okay. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to answer maybe a question or two questions back, it, the product is – I'm happy with the product, but it is not exactly what I envisioned when I first started out or at least the, the, the whole brand surrounding it. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of at the stage where I'm thinking of what the brand feels like and looks like, and it sort of is a combination of this, like, really clean Scandinavian aesthetic – and like a fun, funky, playful aesthetic. I'm just trying to marry the two. And I think I'm actually achieving that through some of the mood boards I put together, but it's definitely a challenge.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're getting that through the dog bed designs themselves. You have the kind of really simple, clean ones, which would work in my apartment. And then you have the little more funky ones for people that have a really modern look going for them. Yeah. It is funny though, I was thinking about you know, what you're doing and thinking about how difficult it must be going from working in this art direction, graphic design world that we work in or have worked in, where, especially in like digital design, when you're building a website, everything you do on the computer just gets made and put out into the world. Like pixel perfect. If you're making a website, you're measuring, I want that over five pixels and I want this up to be 10 pixels higher and I'm putting the exact color into this and then the developer makes it and you see it out in the world exactly the way you wanted it. And I feel like with a physical product with this, there's so many other people that need to be involved to, to get it made that you have to give up a little bit of control with that, right? Like you can't yeah. totally oversee the whole process.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you also can't have total control over the result, especially being in a position where that's not Your background. So Mm -hmm. I feel like we might go through several iterations before we get something that is both in line with what I want exactly and the customer wants. Um, I already have a couple beds out that are being tested and I can see some areas of improvement. You know, like I gave it to a white fluffy golden retriever and he shed all over at least the bottom part of it. So now I'm oh, thinking yeah. the bottom that, you know, the top fabric doesn't collect dirt, doesn't collect um, fur, but the bottom does. And in my house, you can't see it because my dog doesn't shed as much as this golden retriever, but right. with the white fur on the black canvas it really stood out so I'm gonna have to go back and rethink that
0: and play around with it and try different colors or materials
1: different colors I've already on my way here I was talking to another fabric manufacturer about um, their fabrics and you know maybe I'll switch to them but yeah it's just going to be a testing process
0: yeah one thing I really liked when you were just talking is that the, the golden retriever was your tester and that's, oh yeah that's these are testing yeah so I'm just wondering when your site launches and you launch this brand are you going to have the dogs give all the reviews because that would be wonderful to me oh yeah <laughs> I, I think I no human should be allowed to comment it's only dogs that can can decide if they like this better or not. yeah
1: I'm gonna need some
0: <laughs> type of
1: review system that dogs can easily use i'll have to think about that i like that idea dog
0: instagram celebrities i feel like they might have opinions oh yeah (laughs) yeah
1: yeah. i'm gonna have to send some to the dog influencer community yeah
0: yeah so cool so you have your products and um you're kind of testing them what's what's next what's left to do what are you gonna do to kind of get this thing out in the world and yeah what are your plans now what happens
1: (laughs) Great question. So many question marks there. So I am, as I mentioned, trying to get all the product photos up on the website right now. And once I have that, I, uh, I'm working with a consultant who she actually owns the New York Sewing Center. She also runs a consulting business where she helps small businesses um, with their product development, um, getting products into stores, all kinds of small business stuff that um, she has experience doing that I don't. So I'm going to work with her in the coming week to figure out what a... I won't even call it a launch, but like getting my product into the world plan is because if the launch feels like what happens on one day and it's this like big event, certainly not going to be like (laughs) that in my case, it's going to be really just piece by piece getting my products into maybe stores, maybe not, maybe just selling online, maybe testing my product at a trade show to see if either customers or wholesale buyers interested in it so really the next step would be to meet with her and just figure out what a how, how to get it out into the world I get
0: yeah I think there's I think everybody knows you need to do a ton of things to get a product out in the world but it feels like you should be able to just make a website for a product and then suddenly have people go to that website and buy it right mm-hmm. and I think there's we obviously know better because we work in this industry but But even for us, I feel like sometimes it feels like, I made this website, why aren't there people at it? Oh, yeah. And it's not even just a matter of advertising that website. You could put a bunch of money into your – you could have the best SEO in the world, and you could send out some ads to people. But not that many individual people are going to go online and buy your one random product yes it's kind of this combination right of like distributors and are you looking into doing any kind of like etsy or any online platforms like that yeah
1: yeah so what i'm gonna probably end up doing is trying everything so everything that you just listed i'm going to try and that's going to be just part of my learning process and i'm not going to set expectations for what will come out of it right i'm interested enough in working on this and and working on the brand that I feel like I can iterate until I'm not interested on it, interested in it rather. And I I guess try new things until I figure out what it is people want Mm -hmm. and how I communicate what they want and build what they want for them. So yeah, I might put this out into the world and nobody will come to the website. Nobody will, buy a dog bed and that will be disappointing, but I'm mentally prepared for that and already sort of mentally prepared to pivot if I need to, or try new things or, um, you know, create new products that people like or change the product.
0: Right. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. I think,
1: I actually think there's a good chance that that might happen.
0: Well, you probably have at least both of our moms who are going to go there, so I think you have two for sure sales. Um, I don't have a dog yet, but if I do in the future, I think you'll have a third one right there. But, you know, other than that, I feel like – I mean, who knows? I've never tried to sell a product, but I think – you're going about it in the right way where if you were just putting a website up there, then yeah, I'd say probably our mom's buying the dog beds might be be your only hope. But like looking into these other resources, trying to get distributed in different places, trying some online markets and going out to trade shows, I think you have to do it all because that's kind of the only way to learn is to try things. And then one of those ways, if not multiple channels, will work. Right. Who knows which one it will be. Maybe you'll find that like markets and trade shows and fairs are where it's at because maybe all the dogs just stop at your booth. I don't know. Maybe you it's should get right. some extra special dog treats to attract. The yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they're just bringing their office dogs around.
0: But yeah, I feel like there has to be one way and who knows which way it will be for you. But one of these ways has to be kind of the key, I think to getting it out there.
1: Yeah. And I'm also just prepared to learn how to test products out of this to get quick learnings on whether, the product needs improvement, or whether I need to create additional products. You know, I really went headfirst into, into this project just making. Um, and along the way, I've obviously been talking to a lot of dog owners and learning what they want. But that, again, the process doesn't end. You can still learn about how your customer interacts with your product and whether there are flaws in it. Right. And yeah, I just, Again, like this is such a big learning process for me that even if, the, if if I get zero sales or it's just your mom and my mom that buy the <laughs> bed, I feel like I'll be better equipped moving forward to make my next product. Right. Yeah. You're
0: always learning and always kind of figuring stuff out. Yeah. Two kind of more technical questions I have just before I forget them. You're talking about maybe trying to distribute this product and sell in different places. What's your process going to be for doing that? Are you going to do another run and order a bunch of these bags and just keep them somewhere to try to sell them? Or mm-hmm. do you wait until the sales come in and then have them uh, created? I'm not sure mm-hmm. how long the process is to have them created.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And a question I I think I've answered, but I'm not 100% sure on yet. I It is very possible to sell your product Two stores and two wholesalers without inventory. Um, if you're going to a trade show, I think all you need are samples. Oh, okay. Because you, they're not taking the inventory home right. with them. They're just right. placing an order. And actually, I just learned that when they place that order, they don't need the products until uh, six months um, oh. after. So that's plenty of time to make the product yeah. if you're going selling at a trade show. With stores, I I'm just learning about the process of getting something into a store, and you have to create this thing called a line sheet, which I didn't okay. know about until recently. I don't know what that is. <laughs> right, I think you know anyone who's like selling to stores, almost anyone knows what that is, but I didn't until Megan actually told me about it. And this is
0: different than a, a sell sheet. I don't know. Oh, maybe they're the same. I've done some <laughs> sell sheets for clients, where we like design their sell sheet, where they essentially oh. list. They have their product and then they list out, depending what the product is, they list out, you know, what it's made of, how much it costs, what different um, amounts they sell that product to wholesalers for. Oh, okay. Things like that. If That sounds very similar.
1: Yeah. if not the same. So, Christine at the uh, New York Sewing Center is going to help me create my first line sheet or okay. sales sheet, whatever it's called. Yeah. And... Then I think it's about sourcing the contacts of buyers for the stores that you want to get into Mm -hmm. and just sending them your line sheet and maybe a a lookbook and a little pitch on what your product is.
0: And do you kind of, is it like a new business thing? Do you just stock them on LinkedIn to find them or how do you find these buyers? Are they just, is there another cool uh, yellow book, a phone number somewhere? I'm sure there
1: is. I don't own it or know of it. (laughs) I'm not at the point where I have that either that list or that book. Mm -hmm. Um, My plan is to just sit down one night with a glass of wine and write down every pet store in my area. You need the glass of wine to
0: make this an enjoyable experience. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, You know, there are certainly stores in my area that I can think of. Some friends have um, made suggestions for, like, boutiques that they might see this bed in but I think it's just gonna be yeah me googling things
0: and finding things on Instagram yeah yeah. (laughs) continuing the process yeah (laughs) all right I think you know we kind of we kind of talked about everything that's gotten you up to the point you're at right now yeah I think did we leave anything out I think we went into all the details I just find it so interesting because it's it's similar to what we do and we often create branding and design for these products, but we're never really let into the the details of how the products are made. We're kind of just always on the periphery, mm-hmm. you know, helping to make the brand look and sound cool, but we don't know how they make these things. So yeah. it's like a whole different world.
1: It really is. Yeah. And I can't say I have mastery over it yet but I at least have a little peek into that world
0: yeah a little bit of an understanding you're figuring it out as you go Mm -hmm. and yeah I think like I said at the beginning I'm sure this is gonna do great because I feel like anything you put your mind to does well (laughs) thank you yeah and (laughs) yeah I think you also just came up with a really great plan to surround yourself with puppies for your whole life Um. I mean that is really the
1: end (laughs) goal here Actually, even talking to my career coach, she asked me what the one thing I was really passionate about was. And I said dogs with four exclamations.
0: Dogs, yeah. So, okay, well, there you go. Perfect.
1: Yeah. So I've really I've thought this through.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're set up for life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's something you you could get behind, I feel like. And you're not gonna lose your passion for dogs. D- so it's not gonna exactly. go away. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me and being my very first guest on here you're welcome thank you for having me i'm gonna have a lot more questions for you as you keep doing this so hopefully we'll come back back on on. yeah and (laughs) you can tell me once your brand is popular and famous and you're Uh killing it in the Uh dog bed Uh world Uh Uh tell me how you did that yeah 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 Yeah. tell me i will let you know you know (laughs) tell me all the secrets (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we will check in on that well thank you so much for joining me jess on our first Episode of In the Making. For anyone that wants more info on new label dogs, you could check them out at newlabeldogs.com or on Instagram at new label dogs and if anybody wants any more info from this episode you can check out our website shion studio s-h-i-o-n studio.com slash podcast to get more details and links to the resources we spoke about including more info on proposition 65 and the fashion index also, I just want to thank Charmer and Clay for producing the music you heard at the beginning and end of this show. You can find them on Spotify. That's Charmer and Clay, K-L-A-Y. This song is called Orange Blossom. We'll let you keep listening to that to finish this episode. Enjoy. Enjoy.